long-term for family. I think I'm, I'm doing this very much with the support of my spouse. And we are both stuck in different rooms uh, in front of our computers for 10 hours a day. But real estate is giving us a common purpose to work on something together, uh, working on a business together. So we are scouting properties, going meeting with people, uh, real estate agents, you know, contractors together. So that's giving us a common purpose and an opportunity to spend time together uh, in a more meaningful way than just to sit in front of a TV watching Netflix. Welcome to the Threefold Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll not only learn how you can achieve massive success in multifamily real estate investing, but also how you can simultaneously pursue great relationships with your family and a better walk with God. You can achieve financial freedom through real estate investing without sacrificing the relationships that mean the most to you. Now, here's your host, Lee Yoder. All right, Threefold listeners, uh, have, a, have a great guest today. Um, Jay Malakar is joining us uh, from, from here in Cincinnati, actually. So I'm really excited to talk to Jay. I uh, actually saw a post he he put up on uh, Bigger Pockets that got a ton of traction because he's got a really cool story and, and uh, really just jumped in and, and, and got after it in the multifamily space and has, um, I mean, just really set himself up well. I mean, it has really changed his, his life, his family's life um, in a big way and uh, you know, didn't do anything too crazy, uh, but he did just just jump in and really get started. But a little bit on uh, Jay, and then we'll, we'll bring him in here. Um, but he grew up in India until he was 18 when he moved to Texas for undergrad and then came here to Cincinnati for grad school. He has a background in technology and he's been working in the cybersecurity space for eight years. <clears throat> he always wanted to invest in real estate, but uh, limiting beliefs that, that many of us have, such as you need a lot of capital to get started, um, things like that, kept him uh, from investing for a while. And then finally, he took the plunge uh, just last year. So just early in 2020. Um, yes, he didn't know COVID was coming. <clears throat> he got yeah. started in early 2020 um, after about a year of, of reading and educating himself. Uh, and he says that the why for him, the why behind his investing is to create freedom of time uh, so he can give back to society, which is awesome. We're, we're definitely Bay on that here at Threefold. Love that, Jay. Um, so, hey, w- welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jay. I'm really excited to, to talk yeah. with you. Thank you for having me, Lee. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've got a great story, as people can see there, but I really want to go ahead and dig into, um, and we'll get into other parts of it. But, Jay, why don't you uh, start off? Um, we know you're in, um, in, in technology, you've been, you know, you're in cybersecurity for eight years. Um, is that what you were doing? Tell us a little bit about what were you doing when you found out about real estate or, or when you were turned on to it and then what made you, what got you to the point of, of taking the jump in, in early 2020? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So my educational background is in IT and technology and right out of school, I got a consulting job and because of my job, I travel a whole lot. So Monday through Thursday, I'm actually not in Cincinnati. I'm traveling mm-hmm. to most likely the East coast serving my clients and while I was commuting, you know, flights every now and then, uh, I've been reading a lot of uh, real estate books, especially because I was uh, interested in finding out what are some of the asset classes that can give you some monthly cash flows. Okay. The first book I picked up was, of course, Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that, that yeah. was a book I read actually in, back in seventh or sixth grade. 
so I, I was still pretty young and I recall that it had really echoed well with me and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Although at the time I was in middle school, not yeah. thinking a whole lot about money and all that. Yeah. But then it came back to me when I read his second book, Cashflow Quadrant, uh, while I was traveling for work. And I just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad again. And I was like, oh, man, I like this makes so much sense. You know, I need to do something outside of what I'm currently doing, which was a job. Mm-hmm. And of course, right. the job that I currently have, have I, I really like it. It's a great job. But again, with the job, uh, you're creating assets for somebody else and right. you're just getting paid a salary for it, but you're not developing an asset for yourself. So yeah, that's just trading I- time, trading time for money, right? Exactly. Like, you know, so as soon as you stop trading your time, you, you stop getting money, all those things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's kind of like running on a treadmill. The moment mm-hmm. you stop, you, you, you stop right. burning fat, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's kind of like that. So um, so that got me into it. That kind of changed my mindset, if you will, and really understanding assets versus liabilities. You know, like a lot of uh, us who get jobs and then you buy a home, you buy cars and start racking up these liabilities uh, in an attempt to find the good life. But then you end up working longer hours to feed yep. into those liabilities. Yep. And it's, it's uh, Historical, it keeps repeating itself. You so have more things, but I need- you have you have more things, but you have less time to enjoy those exactly. things, right? And then, so Jay, real quick before you continue, because this this is really good. But you said you were looking for cash flow. What 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 was behind that? Why, why were you looking for cash flow? What, what kind of what planted that seed, or what got that started? It was primarily because of uh, so cash flow is passive income. Yeah, and uh, a few things. You know, one quote I read by Warren Buffett. It was like, uh, you know, if you're not having at least a few sources of passive income, then be prepared to work until you're 75. Yeah. yeah. Kind of hit me, you know, and then I saw like a lot of these millennials who are doing really well financially, what's separating them from the rest is not just that they have a really good job, but they have multiple sources of income, you know, writing a book a YouTube channel, podcasts, you know, but you got to do other things uh, and create these sources of income. And also, you know, you can do that by adding value. So real estate was something that, you know, caught my attention because, I mean, my dad's been a real estate investor back in India and it has served him well, but in the U.S., you know, in a a capitalist economy, it works even better because the lending scenario is much better. The interest rates are lower. Uh, the opportunity is tenfold, really. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, yep. So okay. That's okay. What, that's what. So seeing, about. yeah. So you're seeing some other people doing. I mean, even even your father, as an example, but seeing some other people here in America. Then and like, okay, there. Some people are, and, and man, that's what rich dad poor dad is, is for you. But you're seeing like some people are playing a little bit of a different game, right? Yeah. Like they're they're just they're doing something different that's allowing them to run ahead of everybody else. And everybody right. else seems to be and that. Yeah. To me, it's like when you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you go, wow. So I'm playing a certain game and I'm trying to be as good at it as I can. And then you realize a lot of wealthy people are playing in like they're just doing something entirely different. They are not just better at a job. Right. right. They're, just, they're not just that much better at a job. So they're getting paid that much more for their time. They jumped out of that and started doing something completely different. So you're right. noticing that and some people around you and then you, yeah, you, you've read rich, both, 
you know, the rich dad, poor dad, and the, the cash flow cosmic, that's another great, great book. Um, and, and you read that and you're starting to realize, okay, that I want to get into this. Um, okay. So you're heading down that path. What, what came next? Was, was there something else or, or were you, you know, ready to take the plunge? Uh, so that, that changed the mindset, like I said, and mm-hmm. that got me thinking that, hey, you know, I have to invest in real estate. At the time in 2015, we had bought a single family home and, you know, coming from an Asian background, loans and any type of debt is seen negatively. So <laughs> in uh, five years or so, uh, me and my wife, we just worked our butts off and saved as much as we could to just repay all of my loan. Uh, so, and that loan, I had I'd gotten it with 2.75% rate of interest. Yeah. So of course it was a mistake. I mean, that money I could have invested in the market and made 10% rate of return without lifting a finger because we've been riding a wave since 2008, 2009 now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at least the good thing was because we did it rather than squandered it away, we had built some capital in, in the house that we were living in and we had paid off the loans. And wow. that kind of got me started into investment real estate because that was kind of a pool of fun that we could talk, uh, tap into. Initially, when we bought our first property, we used our primary residence as a HELOC source of income to rehab our first project. But uh, eventually it was not just about investing in real estate, but also downsizing and uh, cutting the expenses. That was the other thing that me and my wife have been focusing on. So we actually sold our single family home and we are soon house hacking into a fourplex to just okay. kind of live for free and cut down the expenses. And we don't have any kids yet. Uh, so it, it's now's the time, that. man. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, as you said initially in our conversation that, you know, it's, it's really a team sport and you need a supportive spouse. And the good thing is my wife is extremely supportive because you know, it's not really easy to move from a single family home back to sharing walls with people. You know, it definitely takes a compromise, but, um, you know, thank God she's also very supportive uh, and uh, we are make, able to make this move. So, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Um, because, um, you're absolutely right. You have to, you have to have a supportive spouse. Um, and and well, what I was going to hit on Jay is, you know, talking about now that you understand a little bit better, maybe of what good debt is, and and realizing that that um, you know, again, maybe this different than than how it is in India, but you know, in in the Western culture, we we can take on debt at a really good interest rate, especially I mean, better than ever right now, right? right. And go make money with that. So there's definitely something that to say for good debt. And I mean, I'm bought into all that. Um, you know, we, we take that out on all of our properties and, and it, you know, helps us make even more money for us and our investors. But man, being frugal and being smart and paying down some debt and, and stashing away cash when you're young, it, it's so smart. It's going to benefit you. And it's just so good to, to, what I would say is like exercising that muscle, <laughs> exercising right. that, 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 um, financial uh, literacy muscle and, and that frugality muscle. I mean, because, you know, people will say like, you don't have to have money to invest, but usually they say, but it sure does help. Like it does help you get started. You know, if you can have a base, my wife and I, you know, we more like just bought at the right time, not meaning to, we bought our house in 2012. And that's a huge part of how we were able to get started with, with, with having a HELOC on our home. So that's how you can use that. Well, but again, it was because we kind of bought a fixer up or your house hacking. Now we were kind of house hacking without really meaning to, but we added so much value 
by buying a fixer up and, and buying at the right time and, and, you know, just paying down our debt over the years and, and you can build up and then, and not taking our HELOC out and doing like something, going and buying a boat, but, you know, <laughs> being by my fiscally responsible yeah. and you can, you can just build up, you know, some, a really good base for which to start your investing. So, okay. wow. Yeah. You, you know, you, you've learned some things and, and maybe you would do some things differently, man. You almost, you can't go wrong getting started by, by just building a strong financial position. I mean, you guys are, you know, by that time you're great borrowers, right? Great credit. You know, you've got a good job. I mean, you come with cash. You could not be a better, better borrower to, to go buy your first investment property. Right. And, and so, right. yeah, good, good for you guys. And I hope people hear that, man, what a, if you think you're ready to get started, take a year and really educate yourself and really save some money, start getting good at, at, at saving money and set yourself up. Um, the, the way you guys have done, Jay, you, you and your wife, I, I think really did it right there. Yeah, thank you, Lee. And absolutely, I think I, I agree 100% with everything you said. And fortunately for me, at least in the beginning, I had that mindset where, you know, I needed some cash stacked away to start in real estate. But now our house hack that we are currently doing, we did that with FHA, 3.5% down wow. yep. at 2.375 rate of interest <laughs> to start the loan. <laughs> And literally, I had to put down $11,000 in cash. That's it. You know, so essentially, you know, the, the whole idea that you need a lot of money to get started is just a misconception. Absolutely. And so how, this, much, I mean, how much you have to pay for that property, Jay, if you don't mind? This was uh, 220K. Yeah. Um, so. And you're putting and, on 11000 exactly. to get into it. Right. And man, house hacking. Gosh, what a great way to get started. You know, if you can do that and if you can do it before you get, I mean, some people will do it with kids, but like you said, I mean, cause then, you know, for, for people's, uh, you know, if people don't understand this yet, Jay, tell us a little bit about the FHA loan, how you can get that. And then kind of what is, what is house hacking and, and, and what's the plan right. there? Yeah. And I think that's where the education piece also comes in because initially mm -hmm. I did not know about this, but the more I read about the stuff, you find out ways on how you can leverage some of the opportunities that the government provides are opportunities that are out, just out there, which you just weren't aware of. FHA mm -hmm. loan is kind of one of them. Uh, so FHA loan is uh, basically uh, a government loan uh, that's that's in, you know that's in place to facilitate home ownership, affordable home ownership. So mm -hmm. with just three point less uh, with uh, just about three point five percent down, well that's the lowest. You can go five percent, ten percent. Uh, down, you can actually buy up to a four family because it's still considered residential. So that's what we ended up doing. We got four family and we are keeping two units to ourselves. So we are still getting four bedrooms, which is plenty space. Yeah. But then we just had to put down 3.5% down. And the, two, the other two units, we have tenants who are paying rents. And from those rents, we are able to pay our mortgage and also our utilities. Yeah. So we're covering up for all of our expenses. So essentially, we're not making money on that property, but we are able to live for free. Uh, and we borrowed the money, the $11,000 that I put down was actually used from a cash flow of my other property. Yeah. So it was literally like a free property. Of yep, our yep. Yeah, and you're not making money, but did, did you say, uh, Jay, does the rent cover the mortgage payment as well? Correct. The rent yeah, covers so, mortgage and utilities. Yeah. So, so, okay. Yeah. You did say that. And I thought so. So you're not making extra cash flow, but somebody else is paying off a property for you. Right. So exactly. you are, you are making, making money. Right. Um, exactly. Just not today. 
not today. You're, you're not going to take advantage of it. And then, so what's the plan there, Jay? Because if you live, you have to live there for, for a year or two. Um, and then- I have to live there for at least a year being an FHA loan. Uh, okay. You know, um, I know people who don't do that, but I think that's, uh, I would not recommend that. It's sure, definitely no, illegal and you don't no. want to end up in jail and prison for wrong reasons. This is probably, you know, uh, the easiest way to end up in prison. So <laughs> <laughs> I would stay there for a year. Uh, this FHA loan is in my wife's name. So you're only allowed to have one FHA loan per person at a time. Uh, but then next year, I plan to take one more FHA loan on my name uh, and then rent this property out and then live into that one. So that will be house hack number two. But even after that, you know, we won't be able to get any more FHA loans. But for your primary residence, even banks give you loans with 10% down as long mm-hmm. as you actually live in there. So uh, our plan then onwards is to buy maybe single family homes in nicer neighborhoods, fancier neighborhoods like, you know, maybe Indian Hills, but get the worst house in Indian Hills yeah. and do a live-in flip. And, you know, the reason I say Indian Hills is because, you know, post flip, you can actually sell it for a decent amount of money and up to 500K in capital gains is tax-free every two years. So you can actually maximize your tax-free capital gains that way as well. So yeah, absolutely. Of the, yeah. you know, opportunities that you can really leverage, uh, you know, outside of buying any investment properties with just low money down you can buy some of these properties and get decent amount of returns. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good strategy, Jay. And I mean, more people should do that. I mean, my wife and I definitely had the opportunity to do it. And unfortunately when we did, we didn't know about it, but it's such a great way to get started. So I'm glad you shared that. I'm glad you guys are are experiencing that. And I hope others, you know, learn about this and, you know, a reason why I want to do the podcast is that more people can understand this and, and, and do it themselves. If it, if it, you know, if it's a good, a good time, it's not for everybody. Um, but let's jump into, uh, so this, this uh, quad that you're living in right now, though, this wasn't your first uh, property that you bought. This wasn't your first investment property, correct? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. So take us back to your, to your first one. So just, you know, how, how'd you get started? What would you buy first? Yeah. So the very first property we bought were basically two fourplexes, which were right okay. next to each other. Uh, these were uh, these are in Norwood, Ohio, uh, but they're right on the edge of Oakley, uh, uh, and it's almost like a Class A location. Uh, the property was extremely distressed, but starting out as a first property, I knew that you know one thing in real estate, or one mistake in real estate that you can fix is the location. Absolutely. So I knew yeah. one thing that I didn't want to buy in a wrong location or a war zone even when I was finding properties that were already cash flowing at 2% rent to price ratio, but they were in war zones. So I just knew that it would take more of my time and energy to maintain those properties than the properties uh, in class A locations, which once fixed up are almost running on cruise control. So that, that was kind of my first investment, yeah. two, four, this eight units right next to each other. Uh, and, uh, the total purchase cost for those was $400,000. And uh, yeah. we had the down payment saved up. So we used the down payment and then we used the HELOC against our primary residence to fix up those two fourplexes. Okay. So it, it you had the cash, you had the cash for the down payment. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and then the HELOC. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. 
And, and so how, how long did that one take you, Jay, to kind of get stabilized? And then did you did you pull some equity out of that or did you just leave it all in there? Or how, how did you do that one? Yeah. So so these were, like I said, in extremely bad shape. So we had to change pretty much everything down to the studs, new roof, um, new framing work as well. A lot of exterior work. So it took us about uh, seven months yeah. to uh, you know get that property in best shape. And then after that, we got all the eight annual leases signed up. And after the property was stabilized and was cash flowing well, after showing about three months of cash flows, we were able to do a cash out refi and pull out most of the equity. And this is right about the time when COVID had picked up. So the banks had become extremely conservative during that mm-hmm. time frame. Mm-hmm. And even then I was able to pull out almost 75 to 80% of my equity. That's awesome. Post yeah. rehab. So I was able to pull out almost all of my cash and, and, and I was able to use that during in my second deal. So Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. great. It's a great strategy. So um and, and you know, I, I think there's some people that think you you can't do that strategy today because everything's so expensive. Um, but but you prove that you have and, and that you still can and, and other people still are. I mean, it still takes, you know, hunting for that right deal where it is mm-hmm. one of the one of the ugliest you know, deals on, on a, on a good street or whatever. And it sounds like that that's exactly what you were able to do. Um, yeah. But you also, you know, you, you took some risks there and, and, and put a lot into it. Um, Cause you know, you don't know how that's going to work out. And I mean, you put a lot of work into it. It's a lot of, it's a lot of time and effort to do that, but man worked out great for you. So that spurred you on then Jay uh, to, to go and be able to get your next property right away. Uh, that is correct. Yes. Yeah. What'd so, you get next? So I closed on a 10 unit. Okay. And wow. Yeah. By that time I had kind of understood because I went through the cash out refi process and uh, I saw how much the properties were appraised at. And then I uh, figured that these guys were still using comps to appraise the property. Although the NOI was looking pretty good now post rehab. Yeah. And that's when I realized that I need to start looking into commercial multifamily to be able to use the um, you know NOI based appraisal yep. approach to do the cash out refi, so that's why I was looking at five plus units. Uh, that's when a ten unit came on the market, and, and these these were all on market deals, by the way. So yeah, so you're not doing anything special, not hunting down yeah. owners, not yeah, not spending a ton of time on mailers or no anything. You're calling, competing, no mailers, competing not- against everybody else. Anybody else could have bought this deal too. Exactly. Yep. So. Uh, of course, I mean, eventually, if you want to scale and you're buying a lot of properties, you sure. would have yes. to do it. But if you're a new investor trying to find a one-off property uh, and you're patient enough to wait for three months, four months until that right property hits the market, there are some good properties. Mm-hmm. Even today, mm-hmm. with inventory levels all-time low, you can still find a good deal if you're patient enough to wait until that good deal appears on the market. Yep. So, so that 10 unit was, again, in Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati. Uh, I like to buy something that's, uh, you know, uh, that's cash flowing already. Uh, Then um, uh, once I flip this, I would have even better cash flows, Right. but also in the areas that are being gentrified and are on that upswing. Um, Because I know a lot of investors who invest with the uh, mentality of, you know, appreciation is just icing on the cake. Uh, Invest for cash flows. Well, I, I truly agree with that invest for cash flows but i do think if you can find something that's in the path of progression then that's where you you should invest so yeah i I tend to agree with that jay i mean 
yeah, it is the ice on the cake, but why not get a cake with icing? You know, if you, if you can. And also, I mean, you know, as far as cash flows though, too, Jay, like you said, you, you can't change the location and your renters, you know, they, they know the good locations. And for people that aren't in Cincinnati, Jay's kind of thrown out some, some areas of Cincinnati and they're just, you know, mostly the, the commonly known, uh, some nicer areas. Um, right. or, or on the edge of nicer areas, like you said, with, the, with that, those eight units, you know, where uh, Oakley is a, is a really nice area, Norwood has good and bad areas, but you're right on the edge of that good area. So you kind of know as Oakley is expanding, it's going to expand your way. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love the strategy. I think, man, there's so much more stability and, and assurance if you invest in something that is at least cash flowing a little bit. So, you know, you come in, you're not just bleeding money. But at the same time, you're seeing that there it could be doing a lot better. And and Jay was talking about you know increasing the NOI versus versus um, just relying on comps. Um, as everybody knows, it's bought a house. Your house is valued based on how the other houses around you have sold all the way up to four units. That's also how it's valued. And even though Jay bought eight, it was really two four unit properties. So they're both being just compared to other four unit properties in the area versus now that he's bought a ten unit. They don't compare it to other 10 unit properties in the area. For one, there's just not enough, right? There's not enough comps to, to really do that. But two, they really go off of the NOI, which means the net operating income, which means Jay takes all the income from the property, pays all the expenses, except for the mortgage. You don't count that. And then whatever he's left over with that profit before paying the mortgage, that's his net operating income. And you take that number and based on the area, because it's going to be different for every area, if you're in a good area, that, that amount of cash flow is going to be worth even more as far as the value of the property. If you're in a bad area, that amount of cash flow takes you to a little bit less of a, of a value. But no matter where you're at, if you increase that net operating income, you're going to increase the value of the property. So it's more in your, in your control, right, Jay? Absolutely. And thank yeah. you for breaking it down. I know like when I was a listener and uh, these terms uh, being thrown around as a beginner, it was quite confusing. So I'm sure, sure. that would really appreciate. So thanks for breaking it down. But that's, that's yeah. Awesome. It's a perfect summary. Yeah. Yeah. No. No problem. Um, so, Jay, kind of fast forward for us just a little bit. So, so far we've talked about you know the two four units were your first one. You were able to rehab those and, and get those rented. Um, you know, seven months to rehab and three months to to get um, you know some good financials on the property. And so within you know 10, 11 months, you're refinancing, pulling out almost all your cash flow, getting that ten unit. You told us now that you're doing the the house hack and the quad. But how how big's your portfolio? And and kind of as much as you want to share with us. What's that look like today? What's that, what's that doing for you? Sure. My, my portfolio currently is about 22 units. Um, okay. And also uh, just kind of uh, piggybacking into the conversation about investing in good locations. Uh, one of the other reasons I'm trying to do that is because I'm self-managing. So okay. I want to control yeah. the quality of my tenants as well, because I'm dealing with them on a day-to-day basis. And uh, if you invest in nicer neighborhoods, uh, you get better quality tenants who take care of your property. And that's what I'm experiencing now since the last year after my first property was stabilized. Uh, the, the tenant quality has been phenomenal. And also after, once you do that, basically the property is on cruise control because right. they take care of your property. Mm-hmm. So if you're, especially if some of the listeners uh, are planning to self-manage and the, the other reason I tried to do that was one to learn property management business but also, too, when your portfolio is small enough, you lose a larger percentage of your cash flows as a Absolutely. PM fee. Yeah. So I didn't want to lose a big chunk of my cash flow in just property management when I knew that, you know, most of the time it's not that much work. And especially if the property is fixed up, 
yes. hardly anything breaks. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was another point I just wanted to make. Um, Absolutely. But- yeah. And I think that's a good point, Jane. I mean, it, it's really, it, it speaks to the area, but, but I would just say, you know, when you go and look at properties that are in a, a, a lower economic area, um, the landlords there, you know, honestly, they don't take that, not, they don't take that good a care of the properties like you do, Jay, they're not going to come in and put the money into them. Um, and, and some of the residents, because they live in that area, don't expect that. So maybe that's why the landlords do, don't do it. But then, you know, the residents aren't going to, like, they're not going to take that good a care of it if you're not taking that good a care of it, right? Like, it's kind of, yeah. it kind of goes both ways. I mean, there's a lot of landlords there that, that don't want to put the money into it. Well, the resident's not going to treat it that nice if you're not going to. But if, you know, flip-flop both of those things, hey, Jay's putting a lot of money into these properties, taking really good care of them. So no matter where the residents are coming from to live here, they're going to take care of the property because Jay has, because because he, he's invested into it. So I think that that's a great point. Um, almost regardless of where you are, but, but certainly there's differences in, in different areas. But if you really put put time and energy and money into the property, the, the residents see that and the type of people that want to live there, you know, they're, they're going to take care of it. So, and I, I think it's a great point because when you are getting started, if you want to build cash flow quickly, managing yourself is a good way to do that. If you're more concerned about how fast can I scale, then probably not, you know, having someone else manage would be good because then you can go after more properties and, and let somebody else manage it. But if you're trying to build cash flow, um, cause you're right, Jay, you know, when you're just small, you're going to pay a little bit more. And especially if you start picking up some single family homes, you know, those are going to cost more to, to have somebody manage for you. So if you want to build up cash flow quickly, like you have Jay, it's, it's a great way to do it. And a great point about if you buy in nice areas, but you put good, um, investment into the property and take care of them, your tenants are going to do the same residents are. So, um, so up to, so you got the, the eight, the 10 and the four, basically the, the 22 units. Um, um, how, how are you doing with cash flow and, and, and what's that look like now for you? Yeah, so uh, we are doing pretty well with cash flows, especially on the eight units because it's stabilized property. Uh, okay. I can give some tentative numbers, but uh, it's cash flowing at about $500 a door. Wow. Again, it's one phenomenal. of the reasons we are not losing money for property uh, management. Yes. And uh, I actually converted one of the units to an Airbnb to try out short-term rentals as well. Yeah. And that that unit is actually doing better than uh, the apartments, and that's it's awesome. actually you know even during the COVID times it was a hundred percent booked, so not even that's a single awesome. day yeah. it was open. So so basically, as a new investor, I'm just trying to play around with different things just to kind of get a sense of how short term rentals work and how studios versus one bedroom versus two bedroom how do they work the dynamics that's and great. stuff like that. Because with a short, smaller portfolio, you can take those smaller risks yeah. and learn that way. Uh, and you don't have to take as big of a risk so that if something doesn't play out, you stay small, you make those small mistakes, you learn fast and course correct immediately and apply that learning uh, to the next phase of your journey. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're managing it yourself, you get to make those decisions day to day. That's great. Well, Jay, um, this has been really good. Such a cool story and such a story that, that you know, really anybody can follow. I mean, um, not everybody maybe has as, as good of a job as you do. Maybe they don't have the self-discipline that you do. But if, if you buckle down and you save, you can get into real estate. You can get started. You can get the FHA loan with three and a half percent down and do some house hacking if you're really committed and you really want to do that. So it's a great story, Jay. Very relatable. Um, let's transition a little bit. And um, we always like to, you know, here at Threefold, hey, you know, 
we, we want to talk about multifamily investing and we think that's a great vehicle, but usually that's a vehicle to get somewhere. We talked about your why, you know, having some, some time freedom um, to be able to give back and things like that. We've talked about your, your partner being on board and that being so critical. Um, how has, has real estate investing affected you and your wife, um, you know, the relationships that mean the most to you so far? And then what do you see real estate doing for you as you go on, um, you know, how, how's it going to affect or how do you hope it affects your, your maybe future family? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question, right? Because it's really, you know, you're doing this and you really need to know what your why is. And for absolutely. a lot of people, you know, the why is just to make money. Nothing wrong with that. But if your why is wider and broader than just making money, you're going to enjoy the game a lot more. Uh, I, I just love real estate. I mean, I enjoy the whole journey of finding the deals, flipping the property and making it look nice, getting good quality tenants in it, the end-to-end, -end, the whole game, I just enjoy it. So one thing is I love it. But two, it's, it's really to create freedom of time because once you have some passive income, you know, maybe eventually I can think about perhaps doing real estate full-time right? And, and really time is money. And at that point, you can then decide what do you really want to do with your time? You can go volunteer, give back to the society, you know, use your time for more meaningful purposes than just being stuck in front of a computer's, <laughs> computer on an all day Zoom calls, right? right. Uh, nothing yep. wrong with that. But then if given an option, I'm sure everybody will choose to do what they truly love to do Absolutely. than being stuck in front of a computer all day long. Uh, so th that really was the goal. Um, and then also, you know, for long term for family, I think I'm, I'm doing this very much with the support of my spouse. And we are both stuck in different rooms uh, in front of our computers for 10 hours a day. But real estate is giving us a common purpose to work on something together, uh, mm -hmm. working on a business together. So we are scouting properties, going meeting with people, uh, real estate agents, you know, contractors together. So that's giving us a common purpose and an opportunity to spend time together uh, in a more meaningful way than just to sit in front of a TV watching Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, and, and it's giving us results, you know, it's, it's yeah. uh, hopefully setting us up for uh, financial success. So it's a much better way of spending time together with your family <laughs> yeah. than just watching movies. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, a real way to connect and, and build kind of build your relationship. I mean, and my, my wife and I have totally seen that one. It's been hard because, we, you know, we actually come um, and you, you were saying, uh, Jay, that you listen to a podcast my wife and I did together recently. And, and we shared a lot of that where, you know, we, we, we come at it from different angles um, and, and, and God definitely created us differently. But man, have we grown in it so much. It's because we've been able to do it together. Like when I was doing a corporate job, we didn't do that together. You know, you, you, the jobs you and your wife do, you don't. But real estate, you get to work together. I think it's a great point, Jay. It's, it's really yeah. neat. And what's cool is, you know, um, you know, if you guys decide to add kids someday, uh, you know, my wife and I have it. And, and we're already seeing our, our kids being a part of that. And, and us getting to do that all as a family. And, and, you know, to your point, instead of us sitting in our different rooms and the kids watching a movie and my wife and I watching Netflix, we're out you know, rehabbing a property together. And I, I would totally agree that we're, we're building more of a relationship and, and building together when we're doing something like that versus sitting at home. Yeah, no, that is so true. You know, even for the next generation, you were talking about kids, right? Yeah. I mean, one is real estate is a generational wealth building tool. So you're leaving behind a legacy and hopefully making your next generation's life a little bit more comfortable. 
mm-hmm. uh, and that's a great thing. And two, you're teaching them about financial independence early on. Uh, one of my friends, they they have kids and they recently closed on a 68-unit syndication deal. And when they did a property visit, uh, their ninth grader went with them and learned everything about you know asset management and the things yeah. that you should be looking out for. And that's really good real-life education what better can you do for your kids than that, right? So yeah, absolutely, yeah, I totally agree. What would you say, Jay? All this being said, what, what's um, what's kind of like a, the key ingredient or some key characteristics that you think, um, you know, somebody says, hey, I, I want to follow in your footsteps, Jay. I want to do what you did. I'm, I'm doing a corporate job. I want to uh, gain some passive income, and I want to do it actively. You know, because you can certainly do it passively. You know, we do apartment syndication. People join us, and, and they make some good passive income doing it passively. But if someone wants to do it actively, the way you have, Jay. What, what are some key ingredients or characteristics that they need to have to be able to do that and succeed at it like you have? Yeah, I mean, really, uh, like starting with a fourplex or a small property like that, it's, I think, very much doable. Yeah. Even if you're not going to live in it and house hacking it, you can still do like 20% down. And if you can sure. start in a market like a Midwestern market like Cincinnati or Indianapolis or Dayton, Ohio, Mm-hmm. The the you know barriers to entry from a price point are not that high. It's not like buying right. a million dollar property in California. Um, so I, I think to get started, one is just to overcome that mindset. Two, getting yourself educated with at least the basics, because you know the education can in itself uh, get you down in a rabbit hole, and you can spend five years educating yourself. But right. you just yeah. spend few months reading the few basic books and getting the basics in place to help you analyze if something's a good deal or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, get some uh, you know, expert advice from the local real estate agents, property managers, and so on, and really just jump into it. Yep. The worst that could happen, at least you know, so far the market has been so good that if you make a small mistake, the market compensates for it. You know? Yeah. Of course, if you buy it at the wrong time and if you're, uh, you know, catching a falling knife, if the market tanks, then you can't really course correct for some of the mistakes. But right now, I think since the prices are just going up, even if you overpay a little bit, that's still okay because you're at least getting in the game. Yeah. But Jay, even at that point, you're buying cash flowing properties. And so if if suddenly your property is not worth as much, it honestly doesn't matter that too much to you, you know, because yeah. you're not going to sell it. You know, you're just sitting there cash flowing off it. So that that's the power of... And, and another two point of, of not worrying, not buying properties that are just based on NOI because right. you're buying properties that are just based on income and, and you have so much more control of that. So even more reason, if you are worried about the market not continuing up, we'll just do what Jay's doing and buy those cash flowing properties. Um, and then you don't care because you're just holding on to it and cash flowing anyway. Well, that's great, Jay. Well, I always like to ask, um, you know, for good book recommendations, uh, you already gave us a couple good ones. Um, is that where you would start with people to, to, to read uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, The, the Rich Dad Poor Dad and the Cash Flow yeah. Quadrant? I think at least for me, that was a, that was a book that was responsible to change the mindset. Yep. Uh, also some of the folks who are starting out with uh, uh, who don't have a whole lot of money to invest uh, a book that I recently read was Bill Ham's creative cash. Oh, and okay. it's all about seller financing and creative ways to find money, right? Uh, master lease options. A lot of people don't know about those possibilities. But, uh, you know, even without the money, if you have some experience or some track record, you can convince the sellers to sell their property to you with almost no down payment. So I think that's another uh, resource that I like, especially for someone who's starting out without a whole lot of capital. 
Yeah. Well, you seem like you're really busy, Jay, so maybe you don't get time for this, but I, I always like to ask too for a, a book recommendation that's um, maybe faith or family related, any, you know, maybe just business related, something outside of real estate. Any recommendations there? Uh, a non-real estate book that I do like, which I feel like applies everywhere is uh, Adam Grant's Give and Take. Okay. Uh, and, and the reason I like that book is because it, it, he divides people into givers, stakers, and matchers. You know, givers are the people who always are giving to other people. Takers are just taking. They, they know their self-interest. They're they are the first ones to take. And yeah. matchers are, like, you know, like, if you do something for me, I'll, I'll return the favor, right? And, and he did the analysis of these people across corporate America, entrepreneurs. And, and he did see that, you know, a lot of the losers were actually givers, but almost all of the long-term winners were givers. Oh, neat. If they always gave over time, they automatically got without That's even asking. And he yeah. goes through multiple case studies and examples where that's true. And I'm seeing that in real estate, like a lot of people that I'm meeting, uh, they have been successful because they started by adding value and giving to others, asking for favors. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. And I, I think it really applies to no matter what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I I totally agree. And I, I believe God set the universe up that way uh, for for a reason that that it works out that way. And and you're rewarded like that. uh, So, so often, not always. Not always. It's definitely not a guarantee, but so often. Um, well, good, Jay. Well, hey, um, why don't you tell us um, real quick, how, how can people maybe reach out to you? I know I know you're on Bigger Pockets because I, I saw you there. Um, but where can maybe people get in touch with you if, if they have some more questions, maybe want to uh, pick your brain a little bit, maybe they want to partner with you, you know, but how, maybe they just want to follow what you're doing. Um, how, how could they do that? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm really active on Facebook. Uh, okay. So- uh, my first name on Facebook, uh, Jadeep, J-A-I-D-E-E-P, last name Balekar, B-A-L-E-K-A-R. Mm-hmm. Um, also active on Bigger Pockets, at least in getting back to people. I'm, I'm not posting all the time, uh, but I do get back to people on Bigger Pockets. Right. And then also uh, through our website, uh, okay. compoundingcapitalgroup.com, uh, if you want to reach out that way. Uh, I'm- compounding? That's compounding? Compounding capital. Okay, group. I can see it on your shirt there. Nice job wearing yep. that shirt. <laughs> okay, we'll put that in. Cool, Jay. Um, and just real quick before I let you go, I always like to ask our, our guests, um, how might uh, my listeners and I be praying for you over the coming weeks? Uh, to be very honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm just very blessed uh, that, you know, me, my wife, our parents, they're in good health. That's right. Uh, if they could just pray to keep us blessed, I think that that's, that's more than anything that I could ask for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, we don't realize how, how valuable our health is and what a blessing it is to have good health until we don't. Right. And so, absolutely. yeah, good for you to, to recognize that. So yeah, we will be praying for that. Uh, Jay, that's awesome. Well, Hey man. Um, great. We've taken up enough of your time. I, I really appreciate it. I, I love the story. I love the hustle, you know, you and your wife jumping in. I, I love the, the talk about, you know, you, you two being in it together and it being something you can do together and something you can grow in. And, and instead of, you know, just spending some mindless time, you know, maybe doing separate things, looking at separate things on your phone. You guys are out doing this together. It can absolutely be a, a real growth, growing opportunity and, and a good thing for, for couples. So, I mean, just an extra benefit, like you're also, you know, setting yourselves up very well financially. Maybe that's number one, but man, you know, to be able to do it together, that's awesome. So absolutely. cool, Jay. Um, let, let, let's keep in touch. Uh, and, and thanks so much for the show today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lee. Really appreciate you having me. And I look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. God bless. All right.
Thank you for joining us for another great episode. I hope you'll take action on what you've learned today. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving Lee a five-star rating and review. And check him out on threefoldrei.com. Until next time, 1 Timothy 6.17.